Oh, welcome back to the Fan Morning Show. Sports at 590, the Fan Blue Jays traveled from the West Coast back home last night. Look at the walk around the Rogers Center today before we all get to head down for the home opener tomorrow night. It's going to be a great way to start you, your home season. Did you secure tickets for that? I sure did. Ready to rock. Pay an arm and a leg, but it'll be worth it. Of course it will. Which new amenity are you going to hang out at? I don't know. I'm going to have to go to all of them. Mm. It's going to be busy, so I might just be picking my spot and staying there. And I'm sure things will die out a bit in terms of the oh, the I, lines. I, I think it's going to keep going all summer long. Okay. <laughs> yes, it will, of course. But nonetheless, I'll be there. I'm excited. Um, but no Blue Jays baseball tonight. you got to stay tuned for tomorrow when they start against the Detroit Tigers, and then they play the red-hot Tampa Bay Rays on the weekend. But coming off one of the craziest games we've ever seen. Let's talk to our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jeff Blair of Sportsnet.ca and host of Blair and Barker. Last night or yesterday afternoon's game must have been one of the uh, the most wild ones that you've seen in your career. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I covered the Montreal Expos for a <laughs> lot of years. So I some pretty bizarre games. Um, I mean, I guess the good thing is with all the rules changes this year, um, if you score more runs than the other team, you still win. So that'll, as long as that rule stays in place, the Blue Jays will be okay. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if I've seen a lot of games where the momentum, I hate the word momentum in baseball. I don't know if I've seen a lot of games where the scoreboard changes uh, came as quickly as they did in that game and, and as, and as, you know, dramatically. I, I mean, the Matt Chapman Grand Slam uh, just didn't seem to be in the cards in that particular day. And I, I think that's the thing that stood out about that game is it was it was so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from the Blue Jays' point of view, like, I went back and looked at Trevor Richards' pitches. He made some really good pitches. <laughs> I, he really did. It was one of those days where a lot of I think a lot of decent pitches were made, and 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 guys, you know, guys hit them. But uh, which typically happens when you have a when you have a game like that, right? It's sometimes it's almost a situation where the pitchers are too much around the plate, or or where the pitchers are too good, or just in the right location, and that lends to a lot of offense. But I mean, it was a good game to win. There's there's no doubt about it because, as I said, first three innings of that game, it did not look like the Jays were going to pull one out. Yep, they rally from a 6-0 deficit and score 10 unanswered runs, and then there's the, the this forcing the extra innings, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, lots of excitement. But the they return home 6-4, and four, which is a, a much better way to be um, starting your, your home stand here than a 5-5 five and five record. Um, all right, so let's talk about the offense because that's certainly something that's been a highlight of this past weekend, then we'll get into the rotation. But Chapman... Grand Slam, his start of the season, he's leading the league in war. He's uh, consistently contributing to this team. Um, what's been the change? Is it really the toe tap? Is there something different about his approach that's just really um, amplified who he can be offensively with this team? Yeah, I mean, he's on time this year. And, you know, maybe, um, maybe he's completely healthy. He did have, you know, a hip issue two years ago. And I don't know, some guys it takes it's not just a matter of getting it repaired and rehabbing and hitting the ground running again, especially, you know, that type of an injury for a hitter. So maybe, 
I don't know, maybe it took him 18 months to get to get fully healthy again, but he's a different guy. He, uh, you know, the, the people are going to think about the toe tap and go, could that really make a difference? And, well, yeah, it can because it, it serves as your trigger and it gets everything started. And that helps you be on time. And when you're on time, uh, you know, when you're on time and you're a strong guy, you, you can do a lot of damage. And, you know, let's not forget, um, this is the guy who I'm sure has looked around, looked at the free agent market this year. I mean, there's nobody, there's no left-sided infielder, shortstop, or third baseman of any value out there for the most part other than Matt Chapman. So this is Matt Chapman's big payday. At his age and at the stage of his career, this is going to be the big contract he will ever sign. And I've, I've got to think that maybe... I'm not saying that necessarily has given him extra motivation because I don't think Matt has ever been a guy who's needed motivation, but what it may have done is given a greater sense of urgency towards making some of those changes in his approach. And, and you know, and, and, and just being a glove first guy and a gold glove caliber defender is not going to be enough to get you paid in this market next year. And I think maybe he's realized that. First impressions are big, and the first impression on this season is one of, okay, Matt Chapman is a star. Uh, and I wonder with that contract and that contract narrative, has he already like completely changed it? He has already bumped up into a next text bracket through 10 games. Has he already changed no. the thought around his contract so far this season? No, not nothing's changed after 10 games. I mean, if, it, you know, if anything, he hasn't dug himself a hole that would require an awful lot of digging out of to get that big payday. But, you know, in this analytic age, I mean, I'm sure there are teams looking at Matt Chapman and they've probably found flaws in his swing that even with these numbers that we don't, you know, we haven't been able to notice. So, now I don't, I don't buy that narrative. Nobody, nobody goes from being a $160 million player to a $200 million player and in 10 good games, especially at the start of the year. You know, if he finishes the year hitting 320 or something like that, then we can talk. But, uh, you know, based on the body of body of work, this isn't Matt Chapman, right? I, it, there's nothing in his career that suggests that this is going to be the end product. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that, that has any impact on it at all. Okay, 10 games in, two spins through the rotation, uh, three series played exclusively on the road. Six and four, definitely a lot better than five and five. Keeps the, if we want to use the word again, momentum going into their first game at the New Look Rogers Center. If you had one key takeaway from the first 10 games, what what would it be? Uh, that they've got enough offense to overcome the fact that two-fifths of the rotation may not be very good. Hmm. Um, you know, I... Look, I don't know. I've given up trying to figure out Jose Barrios. Uh, you know, if anything we saw, I shouldn't say won't be really good, but will be inconsistent, I guess, and unreliable would be the way would be the way to to phrase it. Uh, again, Jose Barrios, he's a really good pitches, but for whatever reason, he, for whatever reason, he seems to go through spells where he just can't do anything right, and I don't know how you correct that. You say Kikuchi again yesterday. I thought I thought the stuff was really good in a lot of instances, and but the same thing, right? Uh, Dalton Varsho misplays that 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 fly ball. Yeah, it's not great, 
but it happens. And it's like you say, Kikuchi doesn't fall apart, but it, it, it's it's like he just goes through spells where it, it's almost as if he is expecting calamity, right? And then he gets it straightened around. Like it was, you know, in retrospect, the fact that he was able to stay in as long as he did yesterday uh, and give that offense a chance to get going was pretty significant. I still feel only it's only been two starts, but I've seen more out of Yusei Kikuchi through two starts than I saw out of him at any point last year as a starter. So that gives me cause for optimism with him. And and I really think, you know, the biggest optimistic takeaway I had from the weekend was, was Chris Bassett. I mean, that stuff plays. He, he made some really good pitches to Shohei Otani, and Shohei Otani clearly had no idea what he was seeing. And that is really because Chris Bassett is going to be a guy who's, who is always going to – he's always going to give you heart palpitations. But he – showed in that game that he is able to get out of jams and that that was you know when I look at those three games if you ask me what stands out most about the pitching that would be it uh, Chris Bassett's outing Chris Bassett's stuff a couple of at bats against Shohei Otani that's what really stood out to me I thought okay now I see why this is a guy that induces so much soft contact and now I see why this is a guy who just battles his way out of stuff and that's good that's what I want for my third starter. Chris Bassett, I'll be happy. Where are you at with Brandon Belt? <laughs> Nowhere. I mean, <laughs> he's an older dude. You know, I didn't... When they signed him, I didn't... I, I didn't see the fuss about it. To me, he's a guy. I uh, Again, coming off injury... He may not be very good anymore, um, but he's also an older guy coming off injury, so I need to see where he is at the end of April. It would be nice if he didn't strike out and make contact. That, that would be a start. But, I, again, I never bought into the, you know, the idea that Brandon Belt was going to be this team's cleanup hitter. It was just ludicrous. Uh, it was, I mean, it was silly. He's, it was just dumb. It was daft. He's a guy, uh, and and when he's on, he's a guy who can help this team. But um, I, you know, I just I never saw him being a major offensive contributor. So I'm not I'm not at all surprised he is where he is right now. I'm not upset he is where he is right now. Kevin Kiermeyer has uh, certainly won the hearts of a lot of folks here in Toronto. Uh, early returns looking great. I think they called him a heartthrob in every sense on the broadcast, and that made me laugh. Um, but, yeah, if you have that guy in your nine spot with, what, five RBIs yesterday, look pretty good. What are your early thoughts on how Kevin Kiermeyer fits on this team, I guess offensively and defensively right now? I mean, as long as he's healthy, he's a really good player for this team, and he helps upgrade the outfield. That's the whole thing with Kiermeyer is – uh, health. There's no doubt he's still got the skill set. He's still a great defender. What I have been really pleasantly surprised by is the fact that from the start in spring training and from the start in Grapefruit League games, the speed has been there. I, I expected there would be a glitch. I expected there would be a hamstring injury that would keep him out for two weeks. That may still happen because that body has got a lot of miles on it. It's got a lot of miles on turf. It's got a lot of diving catches in the outfield in Tampa. It's got a lot of 
postseason baseball in it. So, again, as long as he's healthy, he'll be fine. And the main thing for me is what he does out of that that number two or that number nine spot in the order and kind of turning things over for for George Springer. I, if if he can if he can continue to do what he's doing and if he can somehow give this team 140 games this year, that'll be one of the the really good free agent signings this club's made in recent years. We got Jeff Blair, uh, co-host of Blair and Barker, and a columnist at sportsnet.ca on the line. So Blue Jays start their new look Roger Center uh, game tomorrow, home opener. What are you looking forward to most about the Roger Center or maybe how it's going to play differently this time around? I mean, I'm going to be interested in how many fights there are in the general admission. I'm going to start them. Section <laughs> with... You know, all the, avail- <laughs> the the availability of alcohol, the idea that you've got unassigned seating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm saving the seat for my buddy. Really? That isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in seeing... <laughs> I'm interested in seeing what happens in the outfield bullpen area. Um, I'm not a big fan of having fans hanging over the edge of the bullpen or having access to players. Uh, because we've all been to games at the Rogers Center, and we know that, uh, shall we say, this is not always the best behaved. <laughs> this is not always the best behaved crowd in baseball when there's a big crowd in place. So I have some concerns. But in terms of how the ballpark plays, um, I'm going to be watching. Going to be watching Dalton Varsho's at bats really carefully. I'm going to be watching Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s at bats very carefully because I think that'll tell us just how friendly this ballpark is going to be. And I am, I'm really interested in getting back to Kevin Kiermaier. I'm interested in seeing Kevin Kiermaier play center field in this ballpark with all the weird little configurations and, and the funky little configurations of it. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be fun. And I think it's, it's, I'm hoping that it continues to create something the Jays have sort of, gained since 2015 and that is a, a pronounced home field advantage uh and 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 i think that's you know that's what you want in a in a ballpark and i also it, it's going to be interesting because at some point you're going to have to get a new ballpark built in toronto and really what this has done it's it's if this refurb works out as it probably will you know if it works out and if it brings people into the stands, it, it may have pushed back by a couple of years the the idea that you are going to need a new ballpark in the city. But eventually you will. It's, it's an old place, and it's not going to get any younger. Yeah, it might be a good idea that the first game is on a Tuesday night rather than like a Friday night. Because, yeah, <laughs> I think there's going to be ex- some excitement, and we had the chance to tour the park on Friday. And, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of access to the opponents. So it will be interesting uh, on rowdy nights. It'll be interesting in the playoffs if the Blue Jays can indeed get there. Uh, to help them get there, they'll need, you know, good quality performances out of the bullpen. It's kind of the one thing that sticks out to me. The thing that I can't shake in my mind is is that there's not enough back there. What do you make of the state of the Blue Jays' bullpen and how they've fared through 10 games? I mean, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. I think there's way more back there than I thought there was. Uh, Jimmy Garcia has been terrific. He's found extra velo. He was great at the World Baseball Classic. Well, I wouldn't say great, but he was throwing hard at the World Baseball Classic. 
and, and I think Eric Swanson's going to be a really pleasant surprise. I don't. I still think they need more power out of the back end. Based on what I'm seeing in Buffalo, I think you're going to see Nate Pearson up here soon. Maybe Yosvers uh, Letta. So I, I feel a lot better about it than I did at the start of the year. Would I want it going head-to-head with another team in the playoffs? Not the way it's constructed right now. Um, I'd like to see somebody come along. No disrespect to Trevor Richards, but I'd like to see somebody come along and push him out of the out of the bullpen. Uh, I'd like to see a little. I like Zach Pop. I really think Zach Pop would profit from being in AAA for a year and just closing and not doing anything else because I think there's. I think there's there's found money in Zach Pop. I think Zach Pop in the next two or three years will be one of the most important relievers in this bullpen. So if, if I could get an upgrade there, I'd be okay. And and you know the other thing that does is if the starting rotation is still kind of wobbly at the trade deadline, it allows you to make a move to address the starting rotation because there's really nobody and there's nobody in triple there's nobody in the minors that's going to come up and solve Mm. an issue this team has with starting rotation i mean if this is if jose barrios is just a lost cause sorry mitch white doesn't do it for me um if jose barrios is a lost cause and you say kikuchi is still a guy who's on his good day only going to give you five innings you you have to go out and you have to go out and come up with, with another answer. So if the bullpen gets itself straightened around, that opens the possibility that when I do have to make a trade or if I do have to make a trade, perhaps I can focus on starting pitching. Yeah, I don't think there are going to be shortage of options for the Blue Jays uh, when we get into you know the final iteration of this team, whether it's going to look to add a bat that replaces a Brendan Belt or uh, fix the uh, Yusei Kikuchi or Jose Brios problem or just get someone in the bullpen that knocks everyone else down a rung. I think in the bullpen, it would look a lot better if everyone just had a little bit less of responsibility and had one more lead dog with a lot of stuff back there. It could really, really change the complexion of what had already a bullpen that's showing signs of some serious uh, potential, but one team with no issues from a pitching standpoint and no issues really around the diamond is Tampa Bay Rays. I want to get ahead of ourselves because the Blue Jays still have to deal with the Tigers, but this weekend the Rays come to town. What do you make of the Tampa Bay Rays start? They're doing things that we haven't seen before uh, through nine games, nine and oh, they look awesome. Uh, are they as good as they've showed so far? I mean, the pitching should be. That's not a surprise. The offense has been remarkable. Um, I don't think anybody saw that coming. You know, they're the Rays. Uh, Yeah. One thing about the Rays is when they start selling me something, I buy it. And I'm buying what they're showing right now. I really am. And, and you know, the scary thing is, the scary thing is they get the guy with the best stuff in their system back in a couple of weeks in Tyler Glasnow. And I know that the, the Rays' plan with him in spring training was to really limit his innings, to essentially turn him into a four- or a five-inning starter. And if that works and they can keep Tyler Glasnow healthy for the end of the year, it's a scary thought, but as good as they are right now, they become even better once they get him back in. And everybody is going to hit a skid at some point. Everybody's going to have a four-game losing streak at some point. But my goodness, when you're you you know, when you're rattling off wins the way the Rays are, 
taking advantage of the schedule the way the Rays are. Yeah, you can afford you, you're you're basically pocketing a lot of wins that you're going to look back on in August and go, well, you know, thank God that we that we got off to that hot start. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is. They're not going to go through the season undefeated, but could they finish first in the East? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks like the Rays are going to see Barrios and Kikuchi this weekend. So it will be an interesting weekend. Uh, and, you know, we might not have a Raptors game. We don't have a Leafs game uh, on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, all eyes will be on the Blue Jays this weekend with a big series already with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Jeff, we appreciate you coming on. Enjoy opening night tomorrow at Rogers Center. Enjoy the homestand, and we'll uh, catch up soon. Thanks, Ailish. Thanks, Justin. That's Jeff Blair, columnist at Sportsnet.ca and co-host of Blair and Barker. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I'm Ma- fired up for tomorrow, Justin. Are you? Yeah. What's your pregame routine? Is it like a big night? What's? I'm a professional. You... I have to work the next morning. Okay, but like <laughs> you can go for dinner. Like, yeah, is yeah, there, but... Are you going to make a night out of it? Uh, I got to get there early, I feel like, because it's going to be a zoo. So that's the plan to go back there then? You're going to try and mix mix it up? Usually you can arrive at the ballpark like 645, 630 if you're eager. But I think there's going to be crazy lines. So I think you should be heading there for six. And you don't want to miss the pregame ceremonies. You don't want to miss all that fun stuff. Like it's going to be an event, right? It's not just a regular Tuesday night game. Are you going to be trying to find some... Some uh, whether it's the bleachers or something to no, lean I'm on in the outfield, you can stay in your seats. Yeah. Okay, so you're not going to go to the jungle back well, there. We'll see how things are going. They got to come up with. Uh, but Jeff's a, made a good point. This could be a bit crazy out oh, there. Oh, it's nuts. Again, we mentioned it uh, on Friday. Six foot fence probably separates. That's it. The bullpen from the fans and the most raucous area we expect <laughs> at the Rogers Center. We got to come up with a good nickname for that little area. Those bleachers. Ooh. We'll think about we'll it. See how, we'll see how it looks. There's first. something good. force it, right? Uh, my strategy, and we can maybe talk about this in the wake and rake next, might just spam bet all the Cy, all the Tampa Bay Rays pitchers for Cy Young. Jeff mentioned Tyler Glass mm-hmm. now, a guy that's going to be coming back and has the best stuff in the Rays starting rotation. 150 to 1 right now. There you go. Guess what you say Kikuchi's at? 30 to 1. <laughs> no, it's 50 to 1. I but already knew you was there, 50 There to are one, only so. 20 pitchers with shorter odds in the American League doing this American League I Cy mean, Young. It's worth five Kikuchi. bucks, is it not? No, <laughs> it's not. He's not. I think he's already crossed himself off the list. Uh, what a bummer. Tyler Glasnow, though, might have to do that at the break. All right, so no, no Blue Jays tonight. Uh, you just got Maple Leafs, 7 p.m. against Florida Panthers. Maybe Matthew Nye's debut as a Maple Leaf, maybe not. We don't know yet, but... There's rumblings and mumblings. Canada, United States, and WIHF Women's Worlds are going to head down to Brampton to watch that one tonight. We got all that in the wake and rake to tee up. Um, plus, the Red Sox are playing the Rays, and I might be fading the Rays, even though they're making a historic great really? start to You're going to step year. in front of the Tampa Bay Rays? I sure might. Okay. You sure might. I sure might. Uh, but we're going to wrap up our Masters talk on the other side of the break with Jason Sobel. He's an Action Network and golf writer there and host of Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. Rom wins the Masters title, but was it also a win for Live Golf? That's next on the other side of the break. And also send in your picks because we'll get to a baby wake and rake after Jason. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, uh, Wake and Rake. We'll do, in a second here, we're trying to connect with Jason Sobel, golf writer at the Action Network, host of Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, to talk a little Masters. So you can get your Wake and Rake selections in still. We'll do that before we got off the air at 9. Masters in the books. A wet and wild Masters. Okay. There's already odds out for next year. I was looking at those. I'll tie, tie up money for 365 days. I'll try not to do that, especially with uh, John Rahm, who's probably 6-1, to 7-1 to one in that uh, range, yeah, seven to, to one. repeat as Masters winner. Uh, we do have Jason on the line now, golf writer again at the Action Network and a host, host at Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. Uh, Jason, how are we doing this morning? I'm doing well. Good morning, guys. Making my drive home from Augusta. It's always the best week of the year and the worst drive afterwards after we leave Augusta. Oh, where are you going? I live in Orlando, so a little six-hour drive. Not wow. a big deal. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, at least it'll be dry there, I hope, at least. Uh, it was a wet weekend. It was a bit of a nightmare from a weather standpoint. Uh, did that damper the occasion to the degree that maybe we expected watching from home? Uh, no. In fact, uh, I was talking about this with some of my colleagues this weekend. We can't really predict Mother Nature or so, sort of, you know, um, request of Mother Nature, what we would like to see. Even, even Augusta National doesn't have uh, a direct line to the weather and, and dialing up what they want. I, though, always think it's great. Uh, we saw the Players' Championship last year. We've seen it in a handful of majors over the last few years when we have a few different weather patterns, a few different types of conditions over the course of four rounds. And what happens is that it tests, uh, tests players' games uh, in those different conditions. So we'll have, you know, it will start fast and firm, we'll get some rain, and it'll play soft. I think that we tend to get the best champion when we have different weather as opposed to the same weather for all four days of the tournament. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Does it make Rom's uh, victory more or less impressive? Because, you know, it maybe takes the opportunity for guys to go nuclear and go super low. But I guess Rom's in that same boat. He has to deal with the conditions and he dealt with the conditions best. So was this more or less impressive that Rom was able to get his green jacket uh, dealing with what he had to deal with this weekend? Yeah, certainly not less impressive. I'll put it that way. Uh, I thought that the major underlying theme of John Rahm's week was perseverance because he started. He was my pick to win this past week. And I only say that because I looked up at the board after one hole on Thursday morning and he was two over par after four putting the opening green. I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe this is going on. And he wanted to make it nine birdies and shared the opening round lead. And then he got on the wrong side of that draw that you mentioned with the bad weather. Books kept on Saturday morning is sitting back at the rental house, having another cup of coffee, relaxing, cozy, and warm. Whereas John Rahm is part of the group that's out there playing in these really tough, wet, uh, brutal conditions out there at Augusta National. And so, again, he had to persevere through that. I think John Rahm, as of a few years ago, might have gotten frustrated over both of those things, might not have been able to keep his calm the way he did this week. And then, Going into the weekend, trailing Brooks Kepka, trailing a guy who has won major championships, has closed out uh, these big events. I think a John Rahm of a few years ago may have tried to step on the gas pedal and play a little too aggressively. He did exactly what you're supposed to do, though, on this golf course, which is 
Uh, play a little offense where the course is giving you the ability to play offense and play defense, where the course is giving you a red light and telling you that you have to be a little more conservative. I thought he was almost like the conductor of a, a symphony orchestra trying to um, essentially like plot his way around the golf course and, and figure out where, where to be aggressive and where to be conservative. So Brooks Kepka obviously is tied for second there. He doesn't shoot a great uh, Sunday, but uh, I think the easy, fun, tongue-in-cheek, real like you know, uh, connection could be that eh, fifty-four holes. Is he a three-round guy? I know that's you know a little right. bit uh, a little bit of a joke, but at the same time, I wonder how you evaluate Brooks's weekend, um, the pressure, the delays that he also had to face as well. Maybe playing behind the world's slowest golfer can't lay <laughs> the final day, and you saw the difference between Rom's uh, demeanor and obviously Kepka's. But how you wrap up what Brooks was able to do and, and where he eventually fell short. I think we have to look at where Brooks came from over the last few years. I think we tend to think about Brooks as the guy who's from 2017 to 2019, won four majors, looked invincible in those those tournaments, and, and a guy that we look at as a superstar. But I think we have to look at him in terms of where was he a year ago. He mentioned earlier in the week that after missing the cut at Augusta National, he tried to put his fist through the back windshield of his courtesy car. He was so frustrated. We saw him in the full swing documentary on Netflix talk about, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be fully healthy. I'm not sure I could ever compete with the world's best players again. There was a lot of doubt there as to the future for Bookstep. It's one of the reasons, in fact, it may be the main reason why he left for live golf. And so for him to get into the heat of the battle, I know it's not the Sunday that he would have wanted, but, I still think, and I've maintained for years, that when players get close to the major championship, the general public looks at it as a negative. Ah, he had a chance to win. He couldn't get it done under pressure. The players themselves take way more positives from that than negatives. I think Brooks Kepko will take away more positives from this than maybe even the general public realizes that, hey, he got back into contention. He knows now that he can go win another major championship, compete with the world's best players, play for 72 holes, and he's not just a ceremonial loose golfer. So what does Brooks' future hold now? Um, he's obviously con- contractually obligated to play on the Live Tour, whether he wants to or not. It looks like he's going to you know, get to play in the majors, and that's uh, good and fun. And I-, I think everyone kind of welcomes that in a weird way because it does make it more interesting. But it just seems like this yep. guy is like, you know, we're, talk, we're psychoanalyzing Brooks Kepka. We, we've done that because of full swing. We do that because of the decision to go to live. His, he's saying that, you know, he'd give it all up if he could just feel Sunday again, and he just felt Sunday. Like, what does the future hold now for Brooks Kepka after he kind of reintroduced himself to everybody once again? Yeah, the short-term future is exactly that. It's exactly what you said, which is he'll go back to playing live golf events. They have 14 on the schedule this year. They've only played three so far, so he's got 11 more. 54-hole events with his team, Smash GC, of course, where he's going to be playing over there. But he is qualified for the final three major championships of the year. So we'll see him there. Look, I'm an optimistic kind of guy. I'm looking for the silver lining here. And if there is a positive to all of the disruption that's taken place in the world of professional golf over the last year, it's that this past week was kind of cool in the fact that the world's best players the best on the PGA Tour and the best on Live Golf have not seen each other 
in nine months. And so all of a sudden, there's a little more anticipation to get them all together. I don't know if that was necessarily the, um, the, the final cause and effect that we're looking for uh, in this whole thing. But it's a nice little byproduct that, okay, again, we're looking for positives out of this situation. The fact that we haven't seen Brooks Kepka, we haven't seen Phil Mickelson or Patrick Reed playing against the John Roms and uh, the Patrick Cantlays and players like that. I, I think it almost makes these majors a little bit more enticing because we don't see them at other times during the year against each other. What was the vibe around Phil after he carded that seven <laughs> under uh, fourth round? Um, obviously didn't know he was going to play second at that point or, in, or T2. Um, but this guy, we heard, you know, reports of him not saying anything at the champion's dinner and maybe tail between the legs. But Phil had to be shooting some smiles around after that fourth round. Yeah, no, look, the, the entire Phil Mickelson weekend was nothing that we could have predicted. It it does remind me a little bit of Kiwa a couple of years ago when we won the PGA Championship. Afterwards, he said, yeah, I've been telling you guys I was going to play good golf for a while now. It's like, yeah, but you weren't playing good golf. It was tough to believe you. And then he comes to Augusta and he says, yeah, I feel like some good golf is right here. I'm about to play good golf. And I went and looked, and he hadn't finished better than 27th out of the 48-man field in three previous events playing on live this year. And so it didn't really feel like he was going to play good golf. And then he proves himself right. I Look, there's, there is so much to this Phil Mickelson story that is um, hard to fathom, including the fact that last year he skipped the Masters. He skipped Augusta National, his favorite place in the world, because not injury, but he was essentially staging a coup for – players to join him in a renegade golf league and disrupt the world of professional golf. I mean, it's just as weird as it sounds. It sounds like the, the plot line to a bad movie, and yet it's exactly what was going on. He couldn't show his face at Augusta National. Comes back a year later, tail between his legs a little bit, was reportedly um, a little quieter at the Champions Center than usual. He seemed a little bit bashful on the golf course uh, in between the ropes when he was playing um, you know, not the not the boisterous Phil, not the ebullient Phil that we've seen over the years, but just, you know, sort of quietly giving a thumbs up to the crowd when they cheered for him. But to finish in second place at the age of 52, that is some seriously impressive stuff. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what the future holds for Phil other than playing more golf on live and playing in the major championships. But, man, if he can do it there, I I, I can't wait to see him at the next three major championships and see what he can do. Besides uh, Phil's story, I think maybe one of the other incredible stories that might headline is Sam Bennett and his, his appearance as an amateur and what he was able to do this weekend. Were you on the Sam Bennett uh, train before this? And just how impressive is it to be able to come in and to have that level of like fortitude throughout the weekend to not crumble? And obviously he wasn't there at the end as his Sunday appearance was not as great as the rest of his weekend, but nonetheless just shocked a lot of people. So I, I knew an amateur was going to be up there. I, I had a good feeling. Um, I picked it, so uh, I just had the wrong amateur. I thought it was going to be Gordon Sargent, who's the number one ranked amateur mm-hmm. in the world, and it wasn't. It was Sam Bennett, the reigning U.S. amateur champion. Uh, look, great week for him. Take nothing away from him. I still don't know that he's 
got the brightest future of all the college golfers out there right now. I do think that Sargent, kid named Ludwig Aberg, who's going to be really, really good in a few years. But all power to uh, to Bennett for what he did this weekend. And I'll throw in the fact that this is really good timing for him. It's very beneficial. And why is that? Because he's going to turn pro at some point in the next few months, I would say by early summer. And when he does, there's not a PGA Tour event around that won't give him a sponsor exemption to come play their event. So he's going to essentially start his professional career by standing on second base, which isn't a bad way to start it. So like I said, uh, good timing. Uh, Obviously got his name out there, and a lot of people are going to be rooting for him. A lot of people are going to be wanting him to play in the golf tournaments. That's never a bad thing. Uh, I saw a video of him returning home. Uh, I don't know if he just landed where, wherever wherever he went back home, and he's wearing a master zip up. And I'm like, yeah, it's like it's a bit of a tourism stop as well for Sam Bennett. Uh, I don't I don't know if the other guys are wearing masters gear uh, on their way back home, but it was uh, quite the experience for Sam Bennett. Uh, last one, and we got to touch on Tiger a little bit. Uh, he he makes the cut. Mother Nature helps him make the cut. Let's be honest, it got pretty greasy out there, and and Justin Thomas helped his buddy out with a couple late uh, bogeys. Um, but Tiger could not get through the weekend himself limping around. Uh, it, it's from what we saw, you know, if he had a cart, yeah, he can make the shot still, but getting around clearly an issue. So what did we see from Tiger this week? Or what do we know about the prospects of future participation given what Tiger went through this weekend? Well, we don't know anything. Uh, agent said the other day they're taking it day by day and you know i i don't think they're making any rash decisions there's no reason to the next event that he would ostensibly play in would be the pga championship next month i would not be surprised if tiger decides to skip that one maybe try to get healthier for the open championship in july but this is a really tough proposition it's essentially now a catch-22 for tiger woods he says look i'm really hurting I can't go out there. I can't practice the way I need to. And I can't play 12 events a year and prepare for the major championships. Well, then he shows up for the major championships and he's not prepared to go play 72 holes of golf and not just hitting the shots, but walking around. I have learned and we have all learned over the years to never write off Tiger Woods. We've seen comeback after comeback after comeback. That said, I've got to believe he is closer to hanging it up altogether than he is right now to winning another major championship. I, again, I hope I'm wrong about that. And I'm not saying he's not going to continue trying and not going to continue uh, to keep playing. But at some point we need to listen to Tiger as well, because he's been telling us, look, this ain't going to last forever. And if we're listening, you know, we don't even have to read between the lines. If we're just listening to his words. We should understand that like it, this is not going to be a deal where he's 63 years old and still showing up at Augusta every year and making a cut. And then, you know, we'll say, oh, I didn't finish top 10 this year. It's not going to last as long as a lot of us think it will or as long as a lot of us hope it will. So I think we need to at least enjoy it for now. And, and the fact that he made the cut is somewhat miraculous. His buddies, like you mentioned, Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, two of the best golfers in the entire world, friends of Tiger Woods, missed the cut this weekend. I'd love to hear that or, or watch that group text. You know, they're uh, Tigers firing a couple things back at those guys, but just for them to make the cut is pretty remarkable. Couldn't keep it going. And I, the future again, 
Uh, we've said this for so many times with Tiger, but it's unknown. Yeah, maybe he'll let it breathe a bit. I, Justin Thomas looked like he was close to tears, and I don't think Rory McIlroy was overly happy over the weekend uh, after missing the cut. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we got to listen to him. You're right, because he kind of pointed to it. and It's not going to last forever, and then his body breaks down, and I, I think we know why his tone was the way it was uh, before the Masters kicked off on Thursday. Uh, safe travels, Jason. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we appreciate the insight, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. That's Jason Sobel, golf writer at the Action Network and host at... P- X Sirius XM, excuse me, PJ Tour Radio. Um, looking ahead at the RBC Heritage this weekend, a lot of the big guys will be in attendance. The big tournament, which uh, we just get right back on there, make those, our packs. Those big dollars dangling at a premium uh, event. You see the Roms, the Shefflers, and the McElroys mm-hmm. uh, show up. I'm all for it. All right, we'll get to that uh, Wednesday or Thursday with our look ahead uh, for our Fan X Cup. None of us picked. Our buddy Rom, so we are still at the same standings that we were previously, but we had some good showings in the top 10 at least, so we were sniffing around. Were you sweating that Brooks 40 to 1? I, I sure had? was sweating the Brooks 40 to 1. But that would have been tough to overcome. I wasn't cheering against you, but I kind of was. So. No, you're just cheering against the live guy. <laughs> That's right. All right, um, let's do our wake and rake parlay now. We have no NBA, of course, because they're waiting to get the uh, playing game started. So Raptors are in action on Wednesday against the Bulls. We'll tee that up tomorrow. Uh, could be their last game of the season. Could be step towards impressing everybody. All right, Leafs and Panthers tonight, 7 p.m. Uh, that will be maybe the debut of Matthew Nyes. Unconfirmed what's going on there, but uh, rumblings nonetheless. Uh, they are dogs tonight against yeah. the red-hot Panthers. And it makes sense, but it's also not often that you see the Maple Leafs as plus-money dogs. Yeah, I don't know I don't know how many times they've been dogs over the course of this I season. I think maybe but three that I can Yeah, I, would, I was going to say yeah, less than 10 for sure. Oh, God, yeah. But they've had a couple games, you know, resting guys, and and, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that plays into it. Boston Bruins might have been uh, favored over them. But, yeah, it's a rare sight to see plus money on the Maple Leafs on the strict money line. Doesn't mean that you should rush to play it. It's probably plus money for a reason. Uh, but if you want to take a shot, on the Maple Leafs tonight, I don't. I think there are far worse bets. Yeah, so they're plus one fifteen where I'm seeing it um, against Panthers over set at seven. Um, my pick today, though, is coming from the NHL and is coming from teams that need to win, and that's the Minnesota Wild tonight. I'm putting them on the puck line over the Blackhawks. Uh, Blackhawks are not good at hockey. The Minnesota Wild need to win. Uh, they're pretty heavy in terms of if you want to do money line. So I'm going to go puck line, and I'm going to hope that that hits. A team that needs to win versus a team that needs to lose uh, that adds up for you. I think, and for us, I'm going to go the same route and I'm going to put the pressure uh, on the Colorado Avalanche with you because the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars are chasing Colorado for top spot in the Central Division. Important that Colorado gets that. Important then for Dallas or Minnesota to try and secure it. Dallas, minus 105 in regulation over the Detroit Red Wings. That is my pick for today. Okay, so let's go through our anchor picks and we'll select one. We've got Courier Chris from Oakville. Framber, Framber Valdez over five and a half strikeouts tonight against the Pirates. Framber, he was he was like Hall of Fame worthy at one point oh, uh, okay. during the World Series, wasn't he? I think we were going to Framber a lot earlier on uh, in pick. October and on the path to the World Series for the Houston Astros. Uh, next up, we've got just Jeff and Barry, Islanders on the puck line. They're looking to sew up a playoff spot, and the Caps are preoccupied with booking tee-off times. Yes, it seems like Washington has other things on their mind and a big one for the Islanders. So that's a decent look as well. Um, Good morning, Alish and Justin. Frank S., always interesting. Um, 
Wake and Rake picks all women's world championships. Finland and Hungary over six and a half. Switzerland money line. And of course, Canada money line. Well, I'll be at the Canada-USA game, so I kind of like adding that one. But I said I wasn't making any more women's world picks after I lost two in a row. So I will just quietly say I like Japan as dogs. Can you give a rubber stamp to any of those? Yeah, Switzerland? Canada, Canada money line. I, I like them all, except I, I texted back Jeff and said I kind of like Japan as dogs against Swiss, but oh, okay, okay. nonetheless, one last one. Leafs over six and a half, and Jules will take the Leafs to win in regulation. That's Ron and Jules. Leafs win in regulation plus one twenty. Think you'd get better than that somewhere. Okay, so what are you liking? Uh, a little early for some Framber Valdez. We've seen Leafs in regulation plus one eighty five, so that's maybe they just meant say. Leafs. I think that's line. just Leaf money line. Mm-hmm. Leafs in regulation plus one eighty five. It's crazy. It's not a terrible bet. It's crazy good. Um, I, mean. I think we should roll with Canada today. Canada US. You're going to the game. Mm-hmm. Big game. The game of the night is Canada and the United States at the Women's World Championship. And frankly, yeah, I mean, you laid it laid it out perfectly. U.S. team is going through a little transition. Canadian team is tried and true, been together for a long time, mm-hmm. playing at a high level. I, I feel like it's Canada over the United States tonight. I'll lock it in then. Um, three teams, uh, three hockey games tonight. Dallas Stars in regulation over the Detroit Red Wings. The Wild on the puck line against the Blackhawks. And Canada on the money line against the United States. You parlay that together at plus 554 for your Wake and Rake this Monday morning. Only five more nights in the NHL. Monday through Friday here. We'll have all the playoffs set. We'll tee it up pretty hastily, honestly, Monday, because mm-hmm. we don't have a couple days of lead up because we're off, obviously, on the weekends. But uh, I want to see more playoff matchups set so we can break that all down. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a busy wake and rake on Monday. It sure will be. Um, obviously, no Matthew Nyes props up yet, but you bet if he gets added to a book, you're putting money on an anytime goal. Apparently, he'll wear number 23 for the he's, Maple Leafs. Good number. If he's playing in the top six... Yeah, I'll probably be going that road as well. I've been looking. He's not in there yet, but something to keep an eye on. Could be pretty fun. Could be a could be a great morning tomorrow morning if Leafs Canada little homers parlay hits and Matthew Nye's anytime goal could be fun. So your dog was Japan. Japan, and also I'm I'm fading I'm fading the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. I'm going money line for the Red Sox. I hate it, but. I think that you can't win 10 in a row. I just wanted to make sure that pick got on record, that you're stepping in front of the Tampa Bay Rays right now. Yep, I sure am. Boston Red Sox plus 135 on the money line. Why not? Okay. Parlay that with Japan. Could be fun. I just can't see the, the Rays winning 10 in a row. Please don't. I it's more can. of a gut pick. Like I mean, more of like a fade fade them. You know, I'm trying to make it happen. Okay, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, Tuesday morning. We'll t- chat about the home opener for your Toronto Blue Jays. Excited for that and Leafs and Panthers and maybe Matthew Nice.